Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. Through the Morris Animal Foundation that finances really interesting scientific studies into animal issues, I learned about a study at Harvard And of course, you hear Harvard, you go, wow, cool, Harvard. But this particular one is even cooler because it has to do with obesity in cats. And those of you listening know that this is, and I never make puns like a pet peeve of mine, it's actually a passionate concern of mine, the fact that cats are obese because of how humans feed them. So I was lucky enough to be introduced to Curtis Hootenhauer, it might be Huttenhauer, I forgot to ask him, I could have said it wrong, who is a professor at Harvard, no small thing but also co-director of the Harvard Chan Microbiome in Public Health Center, which is a mouthful and really interesting that such a center even exists. And they have a study that I want to encourage a lot of you to actually become participants in of the gut microbiome in cats and whether that has caused them to stay fat even when their calories are reduced. Curtis, did I say anything that was wrong in that, maybe except for the pronunciation of your last name? <laughs> nope, that all sounded great. The, the Huttenhauer version is is right for the last name, and it's a delight to join you. Thank you so much. You're very kind to say that. I am fascinated by the work that you're doing. Since the majority of domestic cats that live with people are overweight, some of them obese, you could even say morbidly obese, but just like very, very fat, which is very, very bad because it shortens their life by, call it a half, call it two-thirds, depends on the cat or how fat they are. Explain, if you would, first of all, 
your your public health center, which obviously is more centered, I would guess, on human health. Talk for a minute about the gut microbiome, because some of us think we know what it means. We read about it in a newspaper article once, but I'm sure we don't really know. So could you explain it to us, Professor? <laughs> sure. And it, of course, it's it's something that's very central to our work in human population health. Uh, most of what we do is is human health focused, but I've, I've been a a pet parent, a cat parent for, for many years now. Um, and it was really exciting to, to start sharing some of the of what we've learned about the human microbiome to improve companion animal health as well and, and vice versa if we if we get to talk about that later. We we will talk um, about it. But but is great. the gut microbiome the the happy call them bacteria because again I want to use lay terms that we might read about in USA Today or even the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah. Is that the healthy Little little critters that live in our guts that make us not only digest well, but be overall well. Gen- generally, yes, and that's that's true for the, the, the microbiome throughout the body. We we tend to think about microbes in the gut the most because that's where most of our normal microbes live. That's where they interface with our diet and our immune system. Um, for for this particular study in cats, we are focusing specifically on the gut microbiome, but but for other work that we do in, in human population studies, you can think about microbes that live on the skin or the oral cavity, and all of those are normal residents of the, the human body, or in, or in this case, the uh, cats and dogs as well. Got it. Okay, so we we want to have lots of microbes in our gut, in a way. Yes. Is that is that like the the very short cliff notes? Lots of microbiomes is yeah. good, or is there I, a bad kind? Uh, some some of both. I say lots of microbes is normal, and and you can get into situations like say right after you take antibiotics, where the good bugs go away along with the bad guys, uh, bad bad bugs. Yes. Um, but most of the time, we're very densely colonized by happy bacteria, like you said, especially in the gut where they help to, to keep our immune system uh, healthy. Okay, good. So that's kind of the overview for those of us who think, okay, got it now. The whole thing about should I give myself or my pet yogurt while taking antibiotics or do you wait until afterwards? We, we kind of get the concept that there's things that can increase healthy gut biomes and those that decrease it being antibiotics. But yours is yeah. specifically around obesity <clears throat> and whether changing a cat's diet who has been identified as overweight, which those of you listening, look at your cat and know in all likelihood, unless you have a Bengal who runs around all day and is really slender, your cat is overweight and you could or should or might do something about it. So the gut microbiome, is this an unknown fact of whether in humans too, there's some people, one reads about it, that you reduce their calories down to very, very little and they continue to be just as fat as they were. They certainly don't seem to lose weight. Is that what you're studying in cats as well? And wondering why? Exactly. It's a sim- similar problem in, in both people and, and in pets, whereas we've all probably experienced different people can respond to the same food, the same diets in, in different ways, whether that's in terms of losing weight or other ways in, in which diet affects us, like heart health, for example. Right. So we've started to see examples of that in people recently. And, and in this study, we thought, hey, I bet I bet the same thing happens in, in pets as well. And since, um, and, the, and the group Pet Obesity Prevention, POP, Dr. Ernie Ward's personal private nonprofit that is, again, a passion project of his, since pets are 
obese across the board, from Labradors to Maine Coon cats. They're all overweight. And we've created the problem by either how much we feed them or what we're feeding them. It's very important to learn what your results are, isn't it? Because people are told by their vet, look, you've got to do something. And sometimes they put them on and often pricey, which is somewhat irrelevant, but except for to the owner, it's like, oh my God, how much is that? A bag? They put them on a cat weight loss dry food and the cat doesn't lose weight. Now I will disclose to you, which I did tell you before we started to talk, since everybody listening knows how I feel about feel about based on science, not a feeling, but a belief um, proven out by real science that Cats are obligate carnivores, and if you put the wrong fuel in a Ferrari, it doesn't run well. It may get fat, if you will, and therefore feeding them highly processed carbs, no matter how they're manipulated by science and the inclusion or, or removal of certain parts of it, whether it's the fat or the fiber or something, isn't going to have them lose weight because their body requires a mouse or a bird or a lizard. So I'm sure you guys are pretty smart at Harvard. You're pretty aware of cats being obligate carnivores, but you also know that something like 97% of the American population feeds only dry food to their cats. Was there any way you could put that idea into your study, obligate carnivore gut biome, put carbohydrates in when the that short digestive tract is not actually designed for carbs? Is that any part of it or is that a subset, a subset of it? That's, that's definitely something that we're sort of that's on our radar to, to look at during this study. Um, we've been been fortunate enough to work on uh, another couple of uh, cat and dog uh, dietary health studies at the same time in other areas. Um, some of which include things like comparing their microbiomes or um, looking at the the response of the animal and the gut microbiome to different types of diets like high fiber versus low fiber or um, high carbohydrate versus low carbohydrate. So most most of those so far have been studies in dogs where the their diets are a little more forgiving. Yes, um, well said. And we can see, yeah, and we can see microbial responses there and and chemical responses. You know, if, if you increase the amount of fiber in the diet, you're making not only uh, you're changing not only the animal's health, but you're changing the kinds of chemistry that gut microbes can do. Right. So mostly we've, we've had a chance already to look at that in dogs. And one of the things we'd like to evaluate here in, in cats is how that plays out in a, a substantially different obligate carnivore diet and, and gut as well. Excellent. So that is on your radar. You're, you're aware of it. It never occurred to me you wouldn't be aware of it. On the other hand, <laughs> you, I mean, you know, that would be like closing one eye and only looking with the other one. On the other hand, you have to deal with how people feed their cats in the real world and the advice that veterinarians give because part of the An Morris Animal Foundation is very science-based and very veterinary, veterinary scientist-based. So the vast majority of veterinarians although there is a subset of feline-only veterinarians, Dr. Elizabeth Hodgkins, Dr. Lisa Pearson, your diabetic cat, who have known for decades that feeding dry food to cats causes diabetes. It isn't an accident or a coincidence. It's a direct cause and effect. So they know that, but it's pretty frustrating that the veterinarians are still taught and trained to feed the major brands of dry food by pet food companies. And then when problems arise, 
which many veterinarians believe come from feeding dry food, that are then veterinary diets that are supposed to ameliorate the problem caused by dry food in the first place. That's the belief of some very brilliant um, feline-only veterinarians, but it still doesn't really trickle down to the owner level of what they do. So I see that that the potential impact for, for animal health that you have in the study, which is talking about targeted diets optimized for weight management in specific feline subpopulations, which you will identify by the stool samples that people send in to check their gut biome and find out why one cat's gut biome is X and another is Y and another is Z and which of them lead to weight loss. But when you talk about the targeted diets, is this something that would then go to the Hills, the Purina, the Royal Canaan who have veterinary diets for them to create a different and better form of a weight loss diet? That, that's definitely something that, that we hope for. And, and as you know, we're, we're working with Hills Pet Nutrition on, on some other studies. Um, some, something that I, I think is interesting going into this and, and which relates back to human health is, is there is a wide range of even just say dry diets for, for cats. There yes. can be everything from, you know, good, to oversimplifying, you know, good to bad dry diets. Right. Just, just like in human health, there's, there's been a lot of interest in ultra processed foods in the microbiome, but an ultra processed human food can be soy milk or it can be beef jerky. And those yes. are very different foods. Yes. Um, so, so there is interest in, really targeting, you know, eventually to, to individual animals, but certainly to, to classes of animals, more sort of microbiome friendly diets, whether that's specifically for the purposes of, of weight loss or for, for other you know, pet health maintenance purposes as well. It's interesting, the one health aspect. And, and after this interview, I hope you'll come back and we can do another about a kind of mirror of the human gut biome health uh, and that of dogs or cats, because you obviously know a great deal about both. You are the co-chair of the Microbiome and Public Health Center at Harvard University. That's a lot. So I think it's really important that we understand that because I think we're all kind of grasping at answers like metabolism. You know, we hear metabolism. So should the person do more exercise? Should the cat do more exercise? I think it's been shown that that really doesn't change this issue of can you lose weight or even can you keep the weight off? Are you looking at the gut biome as a different way of looking at weight gain or weight loss rather than the concept of calories in, calories out, or even does the cat have a faster or slower metabolism, although I don't know how one really checks that. Is, is gut biome another way of looking at this problem? It's it's very much a contributor, and and we know that already from from people in which um, things like energy harvest, uh, how many calories you get out of the same food, can differ from person to person because of yes. differences in microbial metabolism. Yes. And the same deal with things like lipid metabolism. The the way in which say fats are processed from the same food can vary from person to person because of microbial contributions. So it, we even in humans, we don't know the details yet, but that's part of what we're, we're trying to tease apart here. Since cats do, you know, pets in general can have a, a much more restricted or, or specific diet than, exactly. than most humans. Exactly. You can't, put, you can't put the person with just a, two dishes a day that you put down and you measure. 
I mean, you know they're going to sneak. You know they're going to eat potato chips behind your back. That's just <laughs> a fact, especially exactly, if they're exactly. feeling really needy. I, I just want to say, um, and we will, I hope you will come back and we can discuss the human versus animal part of this. I think it's really fascinating and so vital that we all love what you're doing, support what you're doing, and try to, once you've learned it, you know, do do changes to our pets' diets and our own with whatever conclusions you raise. I did do a citizen science experiment years and years ago when I was live on Sirius with Cat Chat, and these various veterinarians and my own research in writing the Cat Bible had showed me that stop feeding dry food to animals that can't process it, can't digest it properly. It just turns into fat. They get fatty liver disease. So I did the the. The Waruva Biggest Kitty Loser Contest, just take your cat off any dry food you're feeding, any dry food, and put them on any wet food for two weeks. Tell me what happens. And people called in, Curtis, within two weeks. These were just random people across the U.S., from California back to New York to the Sirius Studios. And the cats were losing weight. The cats were shinier. They had stopped shedding as much. They were becoming more active and more affectionate. Many things that I didn't have any clue might happen. So that was a citizen science experiment with no controls over any of it other than very motivated cat owners, which I just want to put the plug in now before we wind up this conversation. Please look at the podcast of this show. It's going to have a link to this, this, in a way, citizen science-fueled study that, that Curtis Huttenhauer and his cohorts are doing. You can, you can be part of it. It's basically you can send your cat to Harvard. Well, you can basically send your cat's poop to Harvard, but you'll be fueling a really fantastic study. I will make sure to have a link in there. They're looking for more people to participate. The only way to do this is if all the cats that could benefit from it jump in and and just share some poop it's not the end of it's not it's not that difficult and they'll send you a poop kit to your house curtis is there anything else you you need to say about that before we wind up and then you'll come back another time and we'll talk about the human aspect no i i do hope that uh, we can get as many participants as possible thank you so much for for sharing it the the more we get the better we'll be able to to understand specific foods and specific dietary contributions so far we're we're just aiming to see, hey, does the microbiome play a role in interacting with diet and, and weight loss at all? And the more the more participants, the more cats we're, we're able to help, the better we'll be able to understand that. So thank you, and thank you to anyone who's able to, to help out. Absolutely. And to the Morris Animal Foundation for funding this study. All good. Everybody, <laughs> look for your podcast of this in a couple of days in the e-newsletter. If you aren't getting the e-newsletter, just write to me, Tracy at TracyHotchnerPets.com, and I will send you a link to this wonderful study. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.